Welcome back to another episode of Glass Alice, the show where we jump down random intimate rabbit holes and bring you wonderful factoids from our adventures in Wiki Wonderland. I'm Drew, and I drink far too much coffee in a single day. With me is... <laughs> I'm your co-host, Lindsay, and I'm slightly concerned that you're not getting enough vegetables. <laughs> I feel personally attacked by that. I am Sarah, and I recently bought a full-on child-sized bed for my dog. Oh! Wow. <laughs> she she's a princess and she will be treated like one this is the show where we take our delicate human bodies and place them in the scaly hands of fate we wander all around wiggy wonderland searching from topic to topic until we find something that we cannot stop reading we started this week on saint valentine very topical Ooh, topical. The rule for us, as I was explaining to our audience, is that if we end up on a page where we cannot stop reading about two paragraphs or more, we are beholden to share it with one another and with you. Mm-hmm. It is law. If we don't do it, we will go to jail. <laughs> Friendship jail. Friendship jail. This jail is located between us in Sweden. so before we jump in sarah what was our question of the week okay our question of the week is if you could go back and change what career path you were going to start in what would you do i'm gonna go drew first this week so i was trying to think of a funny answer to this and really couldn't because i was just like (laughs) it's just like i know what career path i would go um, so I would end up being a biostatistician. Ooh, That's okay. Like, I, I fucking okay. love biostats. I love it, and I, I do it at work quite a bit, but I don't do it enough. And I just I would love to know more about biostats. So that's like my whole dream would be just to go back and, and just do biostats. Can you give us an example of what a biostatistician is? I would say someone who, hmm, I'm trying to think of a good example. Uh, like if you were working at a... Like you don't just like draw graphs in your bedroom, right? <laughs> well, I mean, you kind of do. Okay. It's so a lot of graph drawing. <laughs> everyone's just sitting around trying to be a little Darwin on like the SS depression, like in their bed or something. <laughs> oh, SS Beagle, that was it. I'm constantly <laughs> on the SS depression. <laughs> oh, good. Is it like good. trying to figure out statistics from biological systems? That's exactly what it is, 100%. (laughs) You you nailed the definition. Nice, nice. You're doing like analysis of variance. You're doing, you know, all kinds of different statistical methods just to figure out if there's any sort of like effect between things. Like, oh, did Mm. this change in medication cause Mm. an effect that, you know, is noticeable or is actually meaningful? It's, It's all, there's a lot of like perspective to it that I really, really love. So yeah, biostats. Oh, I love that, Drew. What about... You, Lindsay, would you be a statistician of some sort? <laughs> no, I was going to say that I would definitely go into um, like animal rescue or like animal. I think I'm a little bit too sensitive for animal rehab. I think I'd probably cry all day, but maybe like working in like sanctuaries or things like that. And I wouldn't even be picky what kind of animal because originally I was going to answer um, bee rescuing. Like I love oh. when like watching people rescue bees from you know, if people find them yeah. in the walls of their house, like, yeah, they'll, like, call in a bee expert to come and get get the whole uh, swarm out. I don't know if it's a swarm brood. I don't know. Hive? 
Hive? Hive. Yeah, mm-hmm. Hive makes sense. Clearly, I'm not qualified for this job. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, how's this posse doing? <laughs> but, this little kerfuffle going? <laughs> Here's a little fucking mess of bees. <laughs> but I, I don't know, just any animals. Every time I see people who, um, you know, work in some kind of animal sanctuary, I'm just like, oh my God, I do not spend enough time with animals. Even if I live with them, it's still not enough. I think that'd be a really rewarding job. What about you, Sarah? Well, so that would be a good contender, something to do with animals, maybe like a zoologist. Um, but I think my secret thing I wish I had have done was archaeology. Because I wanted to be an archaeologist for ages when I was a young kid. Um, and I don't really know what kind of... I never got turned off it. I still love like learning about archaeology and listening to podcasts and reading different books. But I never did it as a career. And I would I would secretly love to be able to have the time and the freedom to just go do like a master's in archaeology. And, you know, have fun doing research in that. I think that would be so cool. That'd be really awesome. That'd be great. That'd be Remembering all the dates would be tricky, though. Oh, yeah. No, I would, I'd be shithouse at that. But I could dig a good hole. <laughs> hey, I can dig a great hole. <laughs> Where did everybody end up this week? Well, I ended up on the term palindrome. <gasps> I love palindromes. That's going to be a good one. Yeah. How did you get there from Valentine? It was like six clicks. It was like nothing. It was like really quick. That's uh, shocking. You know what? It was like a famous phrase that I that was in a church that I ended up on clicking oh. on, and that was a palindrome. Oh. Nice. And that's how I got the palindrome. Yeah, that's how I did it. Dang. Okay. Very cool. I uh, I too went through the church, um, <laughs> and I ended up on the lost colony of Roanoke. Which oh shit! Yeah, one of my favorite favorite mysteries in history, and I think it is fascinating. I was so excited I got to read a little bit more about it. That's awesome. That's a really good one. <laughs> Where did you end up, Lindsay? Um, I clicked very far. Um, <laughs> I, in, in, uncountable amount of far. I don't know. Somewhere in the universe, someone knows. Um, I, I went all the way through magnetic termites, which first of all, cool. awesome. Um, they are in cool. Australia, by the way. <laughs> really? Yeah. I'll tell you all about them someday or save it for another topic. Um, then somehow I went into world war one airplane art and like <gasps> pinup artists, but yeah. eventually, <laughs> eventually I landed on the balloon boy hoax. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm so excited. Where should we start? I really don't know. <laughs> I'm stuck. You want to get lost with Roanoke? Yeah, you haven't gone first in a while. Yeah, let's Yeah, yeah, 100%. Hell yeah, let's let's go on a wild ride and figure out where the lost colony of Roanoke went. Let's do it. And then and then who's next? Let's wing it. Let's wing it after that? Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah, let's follow whatever momentum Sarah leaves us with. Yes. Okay, so uh, and you guys, being American, I'm sure you already know a little bit about the, the Lost Colony of Roanoke. Did they teach you that in school? They didn't um, 
but I have a penchant for mystery. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely did not. Okay, okay. So let's go on a wild ride. So TLDR, Lost Colony of Roanoke was one of the first ever colonization settlers on the east coast of America and about a hundred people ended up just disappearing from thin air never to be found again and we don't know what happened but I'm going to give you the long version because it is a crazy story and there's some great theories so this was back in the 16th century so mid 1500s is when the queen of England decided that America would be a good place to explore. So um, the east coast of America had previously been mapped in about 1526 by an explorer and the king at the time just kind of ignored it. He thought it was it was past part of, I think he thought it was maybe part of the West Indies. He didn't, didn't consider it to be uh, reasonable enough to fund exploration out there. So it wasn't until about half, half a century later when Queen Elizabeth I uh, decided to grant a charter to Sir Humphrey Gilbert. So back in the year old days, and I'd like to start this by prefacing that colonization, I think we can all look back now, especially just from a modern perspective and know that they did some absolutely horrendous things. And, um, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's very difficult uh, trying to learn about things when we know that they did some really awful, awful ideas. And we need to like kind of put our minds back in the, the very narrow-minded perspective of they were very much ruled by royalty and church and they believed that if the land was not, you know, encumbered by God, then uh, it was free for the taking, which is absolute bullshit. And I'll get to some of the, the rubbish that happened. But basically back in the old days when there was land that was uh, not colonized by the British or by the Europeans. What was granted were these things called charters. And this was basically a permit for a person to fund expeditions to try set up colonies or to try set up uh, establishments on the land. And basically this is free land. So the queen gives you this charter and says, here, this is your land, go set up a colony. You know, you have to fund it. It's very, very expensive to fund this, but if you get there and if you make it work, then the land is yours. So these were very, very sought after because this was a way of basically the rich getting richer. They got more land. Um, and yeah, so she had granted this, this charter to Sir Humphrey Gilbert in uh, 1578. And his job was to explore and colonize the territories which were unclaimed by Christian kingdoms. So they're free. I mean, they were certainly claimed because Native Americans had been living there. But in their narrow view, they thought it was free for all, which is insane. So uh, Sir Gilbert died in 1583 before he could fund a full expedition. And the Queen decided to split this charter between Gilbert's brother, uh, Adrian Gilbert, and his half-brother, Sir Walter Rayleigh, which... Uh, so Walter Rayleigh is going to become a, a big character in this story. He's so, the character, as far as I remember. Yeah, he, he's a he's a lot. He's got he's got a lot going on here. So he was basically Moneybags. Sir Moneybags. He funded this whole this whole adventure we're about to go on. And so when he was given this charter, he had the condition that they must establish a colony by 1591. So they had less than 10 years or he would lose his right to colonization and land ownership. 
So Rayleigh was uh, at this stage also forbidden from actually leaving the Queen's side in London, and so he needed to coordinate and execute all of these voyages without him actually setting foot on American land. Why? Um, I'm not too sure. I think it was because he was one of her loyal... loyal, Yeah, like a loyal comrade who helped helped with strategic planning and things like that. Um, Basically, it sounded like he was a little bitch uh, who was... (laughs) you know, just funding, funding it. It was like, no fun for you. You throw the money at it and we'll see how we go. Great. So the first expedition, so before setting up a colony, they wanted to explore, figure out what was actually there. Was the land viable? Um, Who were the native peoples of the land? And could they try make good relations? Spoiler alert. That does not happen in the end. But the first expedition was actually not too bad. So... They sent a few ships over to prove that, you know, uh, like docking to the land and, you know, it was a a fruitful land. They were able, they saw that there was many native groups that were already growing um, uh, vegetables and fruit that were, you know, it looked like it was a good land. It looked plentiful. It looked safe. It looked like the they could grow things it looked like they could set up and they could protect themselves from the spanish because at this time the spanish had colonized and invaded um spanish florida so they were further down the east coast so a big a big thing to this story is trying not to get captured or conquered by the spanish in all this so they found this they found this land um, which we now know to be virginia and north carolina and they were like yeah this looks good and when they were there they actually made um uh, like peace offerings to two of the native tribes and uh, reportedly had really good relations with them and brought back two of them to England with them. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know if the members that were brought back did so willingly. I couldn't find anything about that. But um, if anyone knows more, please, please link us to some documents because I think it would be fascinating to, to learn what happened of these two men that went back with them. Mm-hmm. So that was this first expedition. They, they proved that it looked okay. They proved that there was natives living there very healthily, that they had made good relations. So the queen, super duper impressed, uh, she knighted Rayleigh and had proclaimed that the land would then be uh, called Virginia. And this was his land. <gasps> Drew, you're supposed to know this. <laughs> oh, you Virginia live in Virginia. History. I do. This is Virginian history. But he's a poser. I am a poser. Jersey like. born and bred. <laughs> <laughs> Don't like how you said bread there. <laughs> Put a bad taste in my mouth. She's a good Jersey girl. He doesn't pump his own gas. <laughs> <laughs> I do now, for sure. Oh, uh, Drew. Okay, so... Of Drew's native land, Virginia. So the first... It's not, <laughs> <laughs> it's not my native not land. Drew's new native land. Just... Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, so... Current residence, maybe? Drew's current residence, Virginia, uh, was first tried to be colonized um, shortly after, after Rayleigh had become knighted. And to put this in 
just one sentence it was a total shit show from the absolute beginning so the first colonization attempt they sent several ships several of them were lost sunk destroyed many of them didn't actually make it to the port they were meant to go with they landed on shore with less supplies than they needed to survive um they basically had an all-round shit time and on top of this they were total assholes to the natives of the land so purportedly that the, the first expedition had made um, good relations with them. This first uh, colonization attempt completely burnt all of that to the ground. Literally burnt it to the ground. So, oh shit! One wow. story that I found, which I just was so upset about, was uh, so the guy who led this was named Lane. One day, Lane comes back to their their camp setup, and a silver cup was missing. Remember, there's like a hundred people here at this time. Um, trying to colonize this land so lots of people part of the English colony that could have taken his stupid silver cup Uh, but he assumed it was the natives and he pranced over to one of the local tribes I believe it was the Scratoan um, pranced over there and accused them of stealing the cup when they had no idea what he was talking about they they claimed innocence they were like we don't need your stupid silver cup he literally burnt down their homes completely destroyed their crops and jesus all because of a fucking cup use your hands i know (laughs) what a spoiled little brat this man was and how dare he anyway so he was he was leaving bad bad tastes in native um uh, opinion of the british because you know they had reportedly being very kind to the first expedition and all of a sudden these assholes turn up they're literally you know killing their crops killing their their land and running them away from their homes and on top of this they were actually spreading um what we think was probably influenza and smallpox so there's documents of the time of different tribes getting very very sick um and many people ended up succumbing to death because of this and at the time one of the tribes ended up kind of converting well not converting but um believing in this idea of a god because one of the british people had prayed for them and they had gotten better but what they didn't understand was that these british people had basically brought in diseases that had never entered the americas before the immune systems of many of the people who already lived in the americas had never had to build immunity against such diseases like influenza or smallpox and it completely eradicated um right. uh, certain certain groups it was awful um, and this is why we now in the world we have certain areas there's some in the amazon um some off an island near india um that are untouchable zones or unenterable zones by western society which are still protected so there's uncontacted tribes and tribes people still living in certain areas and one of the big rules especially with the un is that you don't want to go guns blazing in even if you think you're helping someone because you very well could be hindering them anyway so this it was a shit show first colonization total shit show they ended up giving up and literally packed their bags got back on a ship and went back to england uh they did leave behind three people to hunker down the land until they could come back with more supplies and these poor people were never heard from again (laughs) (laughs) i bet they went wherever that silver cup is so take number two this is where we get to the lost colony so the lost colony was the second attempt to colonize roanoke island and it was led by someone called john white 
So this uh, had 115 people, both male, female, and children. There was, uh, I think there was like 80, 87 men, a few women, and nine children, as well as the daughter of John White, Eleanor, who was pregnant on their journey over. Great. That's so, a great time to be pregnant. A, yeah. yeah. Imagine <laughs> heavily pregnant. You whipped your butt on a ship to go found a new land. Like, you're seasick, you're morning sick, you're like, what Ugh. if I give birth on the fucking boat? How is that going to work with the birth certificate situation? Yeah. Nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> that, that I'm sure that's what she was thinking about. <laughs> yeah, she's like, how, what's going to be the proper documentation? Like, what's the, what are the proper channels for this? What like does this, border control want? <laughs> this, yeah, this is chaos right now. <laughs> so so these people they headed to the americas in three different ships um all boarded with supplies and peoples they landed back where the original colony had tried to set up and there was a fort that they had set up back in the day um a military type fort and they found that that had been completely dismantled and they had found human bones which they assumed were the three men um, that were left behind or partial bits of the three men who had been left behind. And they assumed that they had just been killed by the Native Americans. Um, could have been killed by a lot of other things, not having food, exposure to the elements, disease. But they they just assumed hostility from the beginning. Okay, I'm sure that set things up well. Yeah. Here we go. So yeah. <laughs> they, they set up their colony and attempted to repair the relations between the Natives um, which at this time seemed to have been okay. They seemed to have repaired their relations. Um, Eleanor ended up giving birth to a daughter, uh, becoming the first English baby born on American land. Oh! This was, sh- yeah, so this was like within a month after arriving, this poor woman popped out a child, brand new baby on the new land. So they were severely struggling. They needed more supplies and they needed more support. Uh, and the whole colony had convinced White to return to England with a small group to persuade Sir Walter Rayleigh to, to give more supplies because it was just impossible to do what they needed to do to set up and to be safe, healthy, and to thrive as a colony. So he reluctantly agreed and left the colony after only about a month of living with them after his granddaughter had been born. So White returned to England a couple of months later uh, and he returned at the worst possible time because England was on the verge with a war with Spain and Queen Elizabeth I had prohibited that any able ship could not leave uh, England because they needed to have it at the ready just in case there was a Spanish invasion. And so three whole goddamn years later, he was able to return. But in those three years, something happened to the Roanoke colony and we have absolutely no idea. Oh, shit. Oh, wow. Yeah, when they were able to arrive back. So, again, three years later, they arrived back and they got to the location where they found nobody. Nobody was there. Their belongings had been taken. Trunks that uh, uh, White had buried with his stuff in it had been dug up and pillaged. Um, It looked like all of their, their small rowboats were gone. The large boat that they had left behind, the Pinnacle, was also gone. So they were completely, completely disappeared. And the only clue was that the the word Croatoan was carved into a tree. So before he had left, they had agreed upon 
um, the fact that if they needed to move location, they needed to, to signal that on carvings. They needed to give some idea of where they were going. And Croatoan was um, an island quite nearby. So this was a good guess of maybe where they headed. They Ooh. also had a secret um, token to, to carve onto anything if they were under distress or if um, things were looking like they were to be under distress very soon. And that was to carve a special type of cross. And nowhere in their, in their camp did they find this carved. So they assumed that they had just up and left under their own accord and that everything was okay. What do you think? Is that true? I don't know. So they weren't able to go to the Croton Island because they had some ship failures um, and all of they had big anchor failures. And if they were to try sail up that way, they would get caught in a current and not be able to make it back to England. So he just assumed that his daughter and the grandbaby were all okay. Everyone was okay. They were on the Croton Island um, and they headed back for England. They were like, oh, oh. my God. They're just like, okay, yes. well, we're not needed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially and after it, trying to get back for three years, they're just like try a little around. harder. Yeah, just <laughs> trek. I know trek for God's sake. Like, yeah, no, they could have tried a little harder. And now this is where some conspiracy theories come in, and this is where I've got written down dodgy effort to find them question mark. So here's <laughs> the thing: if they were declared dead, if the colony did not survive. So Walter Rayleigh would lose all of his claims to the land. It would be null and void because he didn't meet that colonization set up by, nine, uh, by 1591. Oh, we come back to this. Okay, yeah. Oh. So is it dodgy? So is it is he reporting exactly what White had found when he returned? So if they were declared dead, yeah, this would be a disaster for him. And he himself went on a voyage to the Outer Banks through so that, that East Coast region near Virginia and North Carolina in 1995 and claimed that he was unable to land ashore because of bad weather. Um, dodgy. Dodgy, you've sailed literally halfway across the world. Could you wait a couple of days for the weather to calm down? So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and during this, he was he was trying to find saffron and sell that because it was it was worth a fortune on the trade markets. And so there was lots of dodginess going around that they think that he knew that the colony had been lost or had he didn't maybe he didn't know exactly what had happened to them but he knew that it wasn't successful and he was trying to trying to not lose his his claim to land because he was making money off it with the saffron trade wow so yeah dodgy weather couldn't go apparently they didn't go back so this was in 1595 they went back seven sorry they didn't go back until seven years later seven years later they went back and oh bad weather again lol we'll head back to england Okay, it's not like these people lived long lives. Like, you don't have, like, seven, three years to throw around. Like, I'm, I'm amazed by this. I know. Like, you want to try, especially if you think they are still alive, don't you want to try offer them support? No. And they. another thing that really upset me, too, was when I was reading, they made basically no attempts to even establish contact with the native tribes and understand if they knew anything about oh my what was God. going on. Now that you say that, like, that's mm-hmm. such an obvious thing to have. I mean, it didn't occur to me, but that's, like, such an obvious thing to have done. Why didn't they fucking do that? 
again, con- conspiracy theory. So it, it hit Rayleigh in the butt, though, because in 1603, he lost his charter to Virginia because he was <laughs> he was arrested for treason uh, because he was in this big plot to get the King, King James dethroned. And so uh, Bad Boy got himself thrown in jail and lost his charter. So other people did go try to look for them. So again, this was very early European colonization of uh, the North Americas. Um, so people were going back and they were trying to look for this lost colony in hopes that they could offer support or maybe they had good relations with the natives. Maybe they could integrate into their society. No luck in any of that. I was going to say that I realized why Sir Walter Raleigh was so familiar to me. I was adamant that he was the main character of this story, but I had my stories confused. He is also the person who went searching for El Dorado in South America. Yes, yes. Okay, so the theories. So what do we think happened to this colony? So the the probably the best theory that we have based off the evidence is that they did move to that Croatoa island. So they did, they moved outwards to the island and maybe they assimilated with one of the native tribes there and were able to have a good relationship so they could live coexist together and and use each other's skills and knowledge to build um you know a tribe's family together and so this is a pretty good theory because there started to be reports when later colonies began to to hit the east coast of light-skinned blonde-haired um, tribe members from several native groups um, and they did they assumed that maybe this colony had integrated with them they had you know um, basically become families they had uh, had relationships across both European and natives and maybe these were the children of those people and they you know just lived happily ever after that was the idea some researchers were thinking about this theory and they they have a feeling that maybe what these other colonies were reporting of these light-skinned blonde-haired people were actually just uh, albinism within the different native tribes because it is much more common compared to European descendants you're more likely to be albino if you come from a Native American oh interesting yeah isn't that interesting and so Europeans wouldn't have been too uh, familiar with this type of pigmentation and they might have just thought this was this was the the result of of them obviously you know having relationships with each other wow that is a very interesting theory yeah Hmm. so we get to some other theories they maybe tried to relocate but on their journey they were attracted they were attacked and killed by either um uh, a native tribe or it could have even been the spanish coming Mm -hmm. up from the south i was going to ask if anybody suspected the spanish Mm -hmm. Except nobody really expects the Spanish Inquisition, so <laughs> don't laugh, don't encourage me. <laughs> no, it's good. Anyway, so that that's a theory that could have happened, um, and that's probably quite a likely theory, depending on how relationships were going at the time. Another theory is that they attempted to return to England on their ship, the Pinnacle, because that ship was never found, the shipwreck was never found, the 115 or so people were never found, no bodies, no items. And so maybe they hauled all their stuff back onto the ship, tried to make it to England and ended up being lost at sea and dying at sea or sinking at sea. And that would explain why nothing had ever been found. Mm. Mm. So there is one, there's one problem with this theory is that the ship couldn't have held all the people. So some of them would have had to have been left behind. 
And so there's another theory that maybe some of them tried to go back, perished at sea. Some of them then assimilated with uh, the local people and had a happy family. Maybe that that is what happened. And the people who were left behind had written Croatoa. So not all 115 had gone to Croatoa Island. Oh, that's right. Because if they all went on the ship, then who wrote Croatoa? Yeah. Got you. Yeah. yeah. And then the, um, the final theory is that they went inland. So instead of going back east um, to Croatoa, they actually went inland to another fort that might have been um, a hidden fort that was that was established on the first attempt of colonization. And they think this because of something called the Dare Stones what? that were found. That? Yeah, these Dare Stones basically um, proclaimed to be the writing of uh, Elizabeth, the daughter, saying, you know, we're heading this way, people are getting sick, talking about their adventures. Of the Dare Stones, all of them have been proven to be fakes, except for the first ever <gasps> one that was found, which can't conclusively be ruled in or out as dating back to the 16th century. Damn! So there is a possibility that this happened, and then again, they might have uh, joined with different native tribes, assimilated into that everyday life, and and began their life and began different different families. Wow, that is so tempting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And then uh, the final theory is abducted by aliens. That's full stop. (laughs) Well, that would just explain everything rather neatly. I think we should go with Occam's razor on this one. Uh Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's that's it. All right. Case closed. Case closed. We got it. Yeah. It it was the aliens. Pack it up, kids. (laughs) Actually, yeah. So what's convenient about that is that the aliens are named Croatoa. Oh. Oh, there you yes, go. Maybe... So they they actually signed their work. Maybe. <laughs> the thing about that. Yeah. What do you What do you guys Good. think? Um, if I'm being serious, uh, I kind of like the idea that some of them went and did this, some of them went and did that. Like some of them went to the island, some of them took the ship because, um, I imagine maybe people maybe even in modern times would have searched for the ship around this island so if they haven't found it then i think it makes sense for it to be somewhere between he- i said here thinking that we all live in america this great <laughs> country of mine sorry uh, shouldn't laugh at that. <laughs> um somewhere between i'm not even on the east coast so i just have like jersey brain jersey brain the whole wor- the whole world revolves around me in new jersey um, no, uh, I, I, I think it makes sense that it was lost somewhere between the East coast of the United States and, um, England mm-hmm. presumably. But I also think like just from a human standpoint, like I'm trying to imagine I'm in this high stress situation and we all just want to survive. And I can imagine that a lot of people had different ideas, high yes. stakes, you know, situation, how to survive. And I think it makes sense that a party of, I, no, you said over a hundred people. Like, I really don't think a hundred people or more are going to agree on the same thing. Oh God, no, no, I agree yeah. with that. I reckon some tried to flee, tr- some made, you know, just be- became part of the tribes people and integrated into their society. Um, you know, maybe some ended up getting themselves killed because maybe they were assholes. What do you think, Drew? 
I'm completely with you on that. I really think that like a hundred people aren't going to agree. So you're just going to split off into whatever groups people kind of feel fits them. Like, oh, let's, you know, half of them want to want to go, not half, but like, you know, a quarter want to go this mm. way, a quarter want to go that way. It's, it's all going to be a complete mess <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> I really think that. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Especially after so long when they assumed that like a shipment was coming back in six months or so and nothing happened for nothing, years. Nothing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, for years. I would have given up and been like, fuck it, we're going exploring. So I think next we should listen to Drew's because my story is kind of a story and it involves people and opinions about people. So let's let's have like a nice refreshing pause from people and society <laughs> and go. Let's hear all about palindromes, Drew. Palindromes, good, good. Woo, woo. woo. Um, I wish I had a palindrome to just drop on you right there. <laughs> Me like, too. Oh, I was just trying to think. Madam, of I'm Adam. Madam, I'm Adam. Race car. <laughs> <laughs> Race car. It makes me so sad that the word for palindrome is not a palindrome. You can't have everything. But poop is. Like but... who who thought of that? Why didn't they make it a palindrome? Uh well we'll get it we'll we'll get into that, won't we? I'm so sorry. Yes, please continue, <laughs> Sir Drew. Sir Drew, jeez. I'm not knighted. You can become Sir Drew. You can buy a two-foot square of land in Scotland, and it comes with a certificate to say that you are now Sir. Oh, no, not Sir. Oh. Lady. You're Lady. Oh, no, Lady. Lord and Lady. You can be Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I forgot for a moment. You have to be knighted to be Sir. Um. <laughs> so... <laughs> I ended up on the term palindrome, <laughs> which I think we're all, f- we're all familiar with, but just in case you're not, or simply don't know the term, a palindrome is a word, phrase, number, or sequence of characters which reads the same backwards as forwards. So it's a pretty umbrella definition. It's got, you know, it can mean a lot of different things, such as the word madam or race car that we just talked about, um, or it can be dates such as February 2nd, 2020, or 0202 2020. So the, uh, the word palindrome was introduced by Henry Peacham in 1638 and was derived <laughs> from the Greek root words again and way slash direction. So there you go, Sarah. That's, that's, why, that's why palindrome is not a palindrome is because it was derived from the Greek roots. Or yeah. Greek root wait, wait, words. wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Was his name? <laughs> Peacham. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, my God, you sweet little Peacham. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so was the Greek word a palindrome? I missed it. I was laughing. No, at <laughs> no, no. It was just derived from the words again and way and direction uh, from Greek. And not That's quite, it. Oh, damn it. Completely missed it. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I just kept thinking about what I think a peachum looks like. Peachum. <laughs> oh, you sweet little peachum. Peachum. Anyway, <laughs> so the funny thing that I found out is that in Greek, the, the word for a palindrome is carcinic, which is crab-like. <laughs> the meaning is crab-like. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's used to refer to the letter-by-letter reversible writing. So I have no idea what crabs have to do with reversibility, but, you know, that's, that's just the Greek word for, for palindromes. 
So I just well, found that very funny. Well, the only animal that walks forwards and backwards. What? What? <laughs> I just wanted to see if you would agree with me. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> they do walk side to side, though. Yeah, we can do that, too. <laughs> I forgot that we could do that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, now let's get into a little history of palindromes, which turns out to be very old. Uh, very, very old. So the ancient Greek poet Sotides, yeah, sorry, Sotates, Sotides, so that's the one, uh, the third century BCE, invented a form of ionic metering. Uh, and, uh, and ionic metering is a four-syllable uh, metric style of light, light, heavy, heavy, heavy syllables, um, which is sometimes to have been said to be palindromic. Uh, but there are no examples of his writing that survived, so we have no idea, but it's said that it was palindromic, so it could be. So we have really no idea when palindromes kind of really took, uh, like, took root, I guess is the, the word for it. But the first evidence of a palindrome is moves to 17, sorry, 79 CE, where someone had graffitied on a building a very interesting palindromic phrase, Salder Arupo, sorry, Aripo, Tenant opera rotas, or the sower aripo holds with effort the wheels. I mean, when you translate it, it doesn't really become a palindrome, but you know, you kind of get the point. <laughs> what does it mean? That's exactly what it means. The sower aripo holds with effort the wheels. Why would anyone take the time to write that? <laughs> well, it's a palindrome. It's cute. It, it, but here's the very interesting part about this palindrome um, the first letter of each word forms the first word, and the second letter of each word forms the oh. second word. And so it actually forms what's called a word square. And so I'll show oh. you what a word square is. They look like this. Oh my God. Fuck me up, Fibonacci. There you go. That's, so it forms, oh, it forms yeah. a word square and they can be read both horizontally and vertically with the, same, with the number of words equaling the number of letters in each word. So this is just one of the examples of palindromic sequence um, that was, you know, way back in 79 CE, and I just found that very cute that it could be, you know, dated all the way back then to graffiti. That, that's like the first palindrome that we have evidence of. And was it written as a word square? I think it was written as a word square. I don't know if it was fully. Um, I didn't get, I don't remember seeing it. I think it was written as okay. a word square. Um, that sounds vaguely familiar to me. That's why I was asking. What was this? What was the phrase? Seder Aripo Tenant Opera Rotas. I think it's literally like if you look up word square, it's the first thing that comes up. So, uh, <laughs> but what was what did it mean again? <laughs> so, I just really want to absorb sower it. a repo holds with yeah. effort the wheels. Okay, yeah, I still don't like it's not it's not really working on me, but that's okay. <laughs> okay. That's art. That's art. That's art. That's so art. a similar palindrome, <laughs> similar palindrome with the same square properties um, is the Hebrew pal palindrome. We explained the glutton who is in the honey was burned and incinerated, which I feel like is a little redundant, but anyway, which, as I said, loses its palindromic properties when we translate it. But um, this was credited to Abraham Ezra in 1924 and refers to a question as to whether a fly landing in honey makes the honey non-kosher, which I found very funny that that's, <laughs> that's kind of a question. <laughs> but... That's the uh, that's uh, another palindromic phrase that has the similar square structure to it, and then the palindromic Latin riddle in gurium imus uh, nocta et consumere igni, or 
we go in a circle at night and are consumed by fire, describing the behavior of moths is likely a medieval creation rather than an ancient creation, but is still an old example of palindromes. That's a cool one. Yeah, I like that one. And another example comes from the Byzantine Greeks uh, who inscribe, wash thy sins, not only thy face, uh, with the two thys implied by the statement not really expressly written. And this statement can be found in many churches in Western Europe, which I think that's how I got to palindromes was looking at Western Europe churches. But uh, right. there you go. That's the little link. And then a Greek poet in Vienna around 1802 composed a full palindrome palindromic poem called the Karsic poem, Karsinic poem, sorry, um, in ancient Greek, where, only, where every one of the 455 lines was palindromic, which is just ridiculous. That seems so ridiculous wow. to me that he would create that many freaking palindromic lines. That sounds super hard to think of. <laughs> 455. So, calm down. So, calm down. <laughs> his eyes were so bloodshot at the end of that you know it yeah like he, he, he like, had like his neck veins popping <laughs> i mean good good on him but also wow so now we move on to english uh where there are dozens of palindromic words but english writers generally only cited latin and greek palindromic sentences in the early 19th century so it took a very long time before we started making our own well not really making our own but um so in 1614, John Taylor coined uh, what is considered to be the first English language palindromic sentence, the sentence being, lewd did I live, and evil I did dwell, which... Ooh, <laughs> I like that. That's sexy. Put that on the back of a denim jacket. But here's the thing. The ampersand symbol is used in there because it's used to fudge the palindromic nature of the sentence because he, and wouldn't work in there. So he just threw an ampersand and kind of fudged it. <laughs> just find that so it works. funny. That's, I feel like that's valid. You got to do what you got to do. <laughs> and for a while, it was actually considered to be the only palindromic sentence in English. That It, it took a little while before everyone was like, wait a minute, there could be more. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, when you've hit a home run, like takes a while for the crowd to settle down, you know, before we're like, all right, let's get back to the game. Everyone was like, that was really good. That was, that was really good. Was it's like, really it's like good. when you, it's like when you're in a, like a group of new people and somebody shares an interesting fact, that's just like so good. And it's like, okay, who's going to follow that up? It's like, no one. No, <laughs> no, no, no one. one. <laughs> yeah. But the funny thing is palindromic lines in poetry did exist. So they're just not full sentences, which is just like, I don't know, it kind of feels like a cop out that like this is the only palindromic sentence in English. But mm. that's, you okay. know, that's all that's all in the past. Uh, so then in 1848, a person with the initials JTR coined the palindrome. We have no idea who they were. Uh, so this palindrome is Abel was I, er, I saw Elba, uh, which which became famous <laughs> because it was attributed to Napoleon. For some reason, oh. they th <laughs> They thought they attributed this palindrome to Napoleon, even though, of course, he didn't say this because it's an English palindrome. Why the fuck would he say an English palindrome? <laughs> but it was attributed to him, and that's why it became famous. So I just found that very, very funny. So then we get into some well-known English palindromes, uh, where this palindrome, a man, a plan, a canal, Panama, created in 1948. Uh, that was one of, the, one of the ones that I really liked. Um, Madam, I'm Adam, created in 1861. Oh, I like mm. that. Madam, I'm Adam. 
That would be a great cafe name. <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah. Madam, I'm Adam. Madam, I'm Adam. <laughs> That'd be a great drag name. <gasps> that would be a great drag name. Madam, I'm Adam. That would. You know what? You're right. I'm giving this away for free. Giving it away for free. So here's some more lengthy palindromes, which I found very, very funny. So Peter Hilton's um, doc note, I descent a fast never prevents a fatness. I diet on cod. That's a palindrome. (laughs) Damn. So much effort went into that, didn't it? You can imagine them spending days trying to make that work. Yeah, I, I, all these palindromes kind of become like nonsense. Like, like they're they're like nonsense sentences at the end of the day. Like they're not not really sentences, but yeah. it's fine. It's a cop out. It's to me, it's a cop out. But that's that. You know, um, who am I to say? Um, so then, a Scottish poet, Alistair Reed. Um, here's his T. Eliot top bard notes putrid tang emanating is sad. I'd assign it's a name. Nat dirt upset on drab pot toilet. This is so forced. Wow. Yeah, that was that one was nonsense. That was absolute nonsense. The redeeming quality was the toilet, but that was yes. yeah. drab drab pot toilet. I like that. Drab pot toilet. Oh my god. But then in recent history, there have been competitions related to palindromes, such as the 2012 World Palindrome Championship held in Brooklyn, New York. Which oh, I just cool. found very cute. Um so now we move on to slightly looser definitions of palindromes, uh, such as the word unit palindromes, in which the unit of reversal is the whole word itself and not just the letters themselves. So uh, such examples include, it is crazy how saying sentences backwards creates backwards sentences saying how crazy it is. Ooh. Which, <laughs> I like that sentence. Yeah. Phenomenal, that one. And then these palindromes became very popular in the 1960s, um, but... Several examples of these palindromes have appeared in French and Latin dating back to the Middle Ages. So these, these type of palindromes have existed for a very long time, which I find very funny that all these different languages and all these different cultures have palindromes in them. I just feel like it's kind of a ubiquitous thing. I just find that yeah. very cute. It's really interesting that so many different cultures and languages were interested in this idea of symmetry. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, then there are line unit palindromes, uh, where the initial set of lines are repeated in reverse order at exactly the halfway point. So that's a little history of palindromes, uh, which I thought was very interesting, but also very limited uh, in like the scope of it. It just kind of felt like it was kind of pieced together a little bit, but I guess that could be the nature of Wikipedia or you know, just what we know about palindromes. Uh, but I guess that could also be the nature of language. Anyway, very cool to see that tons of different languages have this concept of palindromes. and. Um, yeah, I just, now we move on to the, the palindromes outside of speech. Okay, rock my world. This sounds impossible. <laughs> palindromes can be found in music. Specifically, Joseph uh, Haydn's Symphony Number no. 47 uses the same series of notes and the exact reverse of those notes to form a palindromic <gasps> sequence in his music. What? So, <laughs> he forms palindromes throughout his music. Um, that's and unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And just as letters of, verbally, of verbal palindromes are sometimes not reversed, elements of musical palindromes usually are present in the same form in both halves of the sequence. So basically it means that, you know, how sometimes you have the, the word unit um, kind of palindromes, that, that exists in music as well, where you take whole units and you're, you know, you play it one way and then you, have, you play it back the other way. 
Um, I'm not explaining that very well, but but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there are quite a few examples of this, but I, <laughs> but I found it a little hard to just describe music uh, verbally. So I think we just try and find a little clip of a palindrome, and I think that might better explain my point. Do you want to try be an instrument? Beep boop pop. Um, that's that was not a palindrome. Beep boop pop pop boop beep. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> anyway, so now we move on to genetics of all things. Um, and I promise, I promise I will not talk about genetic diversity. I promise. Is this like DNA, like A, T, C, and G? You nailed <gasps> it. You have yeah. nailed it. If it makes you feel any better, I would have never guessed that sat on a mountaintop for 10,000 years. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Drew are from the same type of weird. I love it. I love it. Well, I, I mean, I, I did study genetics, so I mean, it's also there. Good point. Good point. <laughs> so basically, uh, these sequences are considered palindromic due to what's called reverse complementation, where the sequence A, C, C, T, A, G, G, T, its complement is T, G, G, A, T, C, C, A. They're identical to the original sequence, but the revert, but as the reverse complement. So if you flipped it over, it's much easier to see like visually. But if you flip it over, it's basically the exact same sequence. What does that correspond to genetically? Is that on our human genome, or is that in? Oh, does that occur on different animals? We're gonna get to that. <gasps> oh, <okay. laughs> hell yeah! Hell yeah! So a palindromic sequence with the nucleotides uh, can form what's called a hairpin structure. And this is super, super important to RNA. So oh. this stem loop or hairpin helps form the secondary structure of RNA, which helps to form RNA that is functional in the sense that the structure can help with catalytic, fun catalytic function, uh, ligand binding, scaffold function, and is a, cr a critical component in biological regulation. So these, these palindromic sequences are super important because they form those, those little hairpins. And these hairpins are, you know, they, they do so much just for RNA. These palindromic sequences are also important to mRNA structure stability. Um, they provide region, uh, recognition sites for RNA binding proteins and can serve as a substrate for enzyme reactions. That's kind of a repeat of the, of the catalytic function. But that aside, basically, these super, they're super important when it comes to life as we know it. Like these palindromic sequences are very, very important. Oh. So is this in all life? I would say so, yes. Um, I mean, I'm pretty oh. sure I would say so, yeah. So, like, okay, so, like, we're, we're all living with palindromes inside us? Yes, I would say I, so. Yeah. I really like that. And um, yeah. it goes even beyond that, because um, when it comes to proteins, there are, palindrom there are palindromic motifs um, that are made due to these palindromic nucleotide sequences. And basically, these palindromic sequences could be related to low-complexity sections of proteins. So low-complexity sections of proteins basically means that they're, I was going to say they're not complex, but what the fuck does that mean? Um, <laughs> the, 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 the nucleotide, not the nucleotides, the amino acids that are on the protein themselves don't have, they're not very complex in the sense that they don't have an, they have an R group that isn't very, you know, big or very polar, or I'm using a lot of words that might not they're be clear. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's the best way to describe it. They're basic bitches. Yeah. And these low complexity sections of protein could help um, uh, make alpha, helical, alpha helix, um, which are a secondary structure of proteins, 
or they could be related to protein-protein complexes. So when proteins and proteins come together, uh, they bind, and they could be binding at these low-complexity sections. So oh, wow. once again, so super, super important. super important, like ridiculously important. We would be up Ship's Creek if our proteins did not, did not combine properly. Yes, yeah, 100%. Without, they always say that protein structure um, leads to function, and if you fuck up the structure, you fuck up the function. So they you know, always say that. that that's what they yeah. say in the textbooks. Yes. Fuck up the structure. <laughs> fuck up the function. <laughs> this is what's printed on Drew's degree. <laughs> Remember, child. Fuck up the structure. Fuck up the function. <laughs> that's that's for you, Dr. Rowlett. <laughs> oh, my God. We don't do that for free. <laughs> <laughs> the bases within the Y chromosome are arranged in palindromes, and these palindrome structures allow for Y chromosomes to repair itself. So once again, super important because DNA repair, super important. You don't want to have mutations because that's bad because uh, that limits genetic diversity. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you snuck it in there. Snuck it in there. We're flirting with incest again. Actually, it actually increases genetic diversity, but that's besides the point. <laughs> this is like the eighth time that Drew has like snuck in genetic diversity. I love it. This How is am his... I just noticing? This is his brand. <laughs> genetic diversity. <laughs> it's my brand. My brand. <laughs> Palindromes are super important biologically. And um, I kind of realized that this is a long tangent. So I thought I would end with a few of my favorite palindromes. So here we go. You ready for it? Yes. Okay. Yes, so ready. Number one. Damn it, I'm mad. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Starting up strong. Number yeah. two, and this is going to be my new favorite insult. Go hang a salami. I'm a lasagna hog. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so stupid. Oh. Go hang a salami is going to be my <laughs> new in salami. my new insult. <laughs> is amazing and then we have golf no sir prefer prison flog oh which as a as a golfer i can completely agree with <laughs> as a not golfer i can completely agree you prefer with a prison flog <laughs> and my last one is uzi rat in a sanitary zoo that is so cute uzi oh. rat my little peachum <laughs> uzi rat peachum <laughs> a little peach moosey rat. So that's a little about palindromes, uh, which was a wild ride through language to music to biology. And I thought it was super cool. So yeah, that's palindromes in a nutshell. Yeah. Who would have thought we would like go into biology worlds with that? That is unbelievable. I, I did not expect that. That was a very nice touch. So if you guys are ready to jump into it, I will tell you all about the Bloom Boy hoax. Yes, please. Yes, please. Yes. Okay, so to really get us in the, the mood for this, this <laughs> saga, <laughs> I, want you, I want you to ask yourself and maybe even tell me, like, what, what is the cost that you would be willing to pay for fame and notoriety? Uh. Or how hard or how far would you go to deny the truth in pursuit of that fame. Ooh. Um, I'm tired and lazy, so maybe I'd walk a block. 
don't think it's worth it. <laughs> oh my god, how can I follow that up? <laughs> <laughs> Would you walk the block with me, Drew? <laughs> yeah. This is like what you do for a Klondike bar. Like, oh, I'd walk the block. (laughs) I didn't mean how physically. (laughs) (laughs) I would deny the truth for a solid block. (laughs) Yeah, like the time it takes to do a city block. Be like, "Eh, that's enough time. I'm exhausted. We're done. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap this up. <laughs> All right. Well, seems like you're a better person than everyone in this story. Oh, thank God. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen in the story, but from your hints, I'm guessing it is they're terrible people. Yeah. Well, I want to do my best to actually just present the facts as they are, because I think Mm -hmm. that's going to be the most interesting. And I'm going to actually, with this one, take a a conscious effort to not comment on uh, the morality of anyone involved for the sake of keeping it, you know, lighthearted and entertaining. Um, But there are many, many avenues, both social and political and emotional and socioeconomical uh, to explore. Okay. Can Drew and I comment on the morality of the Please. people? Yes, okay. absolutely. Okay. I want you to just really get into it, experiment with it, find your place in it. Like this, this is for you. And this is for everybody <laughs> listening. I want your opinions too. Just going to plug the Twitter, go ask Alice pod. Like that's me. Like just, just come tell me. <laughs> Straight up Lindsay. I know you're on Twitter and like, I know it's in a tab that's already open. Just like, you know, come tell me what you think about everything. I don't know. Anyway, to put ourselves really in uh, the setting of the hoax, I want you to imagine that you are in Fort Collins, Colorado, whatever you imagine that to be like, in the year 2009. Oh. Okay, so pretty, very pretty recent. <laughs> it is That's strikingly concerning. recent. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was also, I'm just going to tell you right up front, this got insane news coverage. And kind of, I think this is the first time I've done an article or a subject that's this modern. I don't know. I don't care. I don't think any of us really have. But with, I'll say with the exception of the science topics, um, I was shocked by how long this article was, how well covered it was, how many sources there were. Like, I think it's because this took place in the era of the internet. There is a ton of stuff on this topic. Hmm. Okay. But none of us have ever heard of it, I reckon. Yeah. No. I have not. I, it, it, like, it maybe vaguely rings a bell, the balloon boy, but I... Like, the, the best I'm picturing is, like, a boy who got taken away with, like, helium balloons... <gasps> is that you it? are really close okay. yes okay so here's here's the story that's the perfect way to jump in here's the story a couple so uh their names are richard and mayumi heaney so i'm gonna bring them up a lot the uh okay. the parents of the boy are uh richard and May- mayumi or mayumi um 
So they launched a flying saucer shaped helium balloon <gasps> that was Richard's own invention. Oh no. And this flying saucer shaped balloon reached about 2,100 meters or 7,000 feet in the air and called 911 and said, holy shit, our son Falcon is in this balloon. I remember this. Okay. That's amazing because I have no memory of this. I remember Drew? this. Oh no. my God. Very aptly That's really named. weird. <laughs> Falcon in the sky. <laughs> I know. I was just like, all right. Spot all right. on. We're spot on. So local police and the National Guard immediately, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how immediately, but they were just like, oh, fuck, we got to go find this balloon. We got to go get this balloon because now there's a young boy, um, six-year-old boy uh, in danger. Mm. So the balloon lands. Uh, it traveled, the balloon had traveled about 90 minutes in the sky and it traveled about 50 miles or 80 kilometers away from the initial location. So they find the balloon and there is no boy inside. And reports, I guess, from, from people or witnesses uh, had come in that there was some object that fell from the balloon. So oh. everybody's now panicking. Oh, my God, this boy fell from the balloon. Well, later in the day, Falcon was found hiding in the family attic. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Did they fake it? Well, that is why it's been led or... People believe that this was a hoax. Okay. And to further fuel the fire, uh, the family was interviewed on Larry King. And uh. the interviewer asked the child, why did you do it? And the kid turned to his parents and said, you guys said that uh, we did this for the show. <gasps> no. Yeah. He put his foot in it. I mean, I mean, it's a kid. He didn't put his foot in it, but his parents fucked up by telling them too much. <laughs> well, the reason I hesitated when you asked is because up until 2019, the family maintained that they were innocent. Oh, come on. So they deny to this day, here we are recording in 2022, they continue to deny that it was ever a hoax. And I'm going to get into it a little bit. But the reason I bring up 2019 is because the Colorado governor in 2020 pardoned them for <gasps> Christmas. What? Wow. Were they charged with like wasting police time and endangering uh, like police resources? I knew you were going to ask, so I wrote down consequences. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 if it isn't the consequences of my actions. <laughs> so what had happened at the time of the hoax was uh, Richard, the father, pleads guilty to attempting to influence a public servant. So I assume that has something to do with lying. Mm-hmm. Um, he had to do 90 days in jail and only had to pay $36,000 in restitution. Okay. That's not, that's not a crazy amount of money or time, really. It's not. And when you consider, like, for example, if I go hiking and die, my family has to pay for the helicopter to get my body. Really? And Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, America's God. a fucked up place. That, I do... I mean, I've never gone hiking or 
died, but I'm pretty sure that in Australia <laughs> that is covered by search and rescue. And yeah, so I... Fuck, America! Sorry. Wow. <laughs> I think the subtitle for our show is Disillusion. <laughs> Disillusioning <laughs> in Australia <laughs> about America. <laughs> scared to go hiking like even if you don't die like just say you break an ankle or you need assistance so you have to pay to be airlifted or there's no i guess of course sorry i don't mean to rub salt in the wound i forget you don't have um medicare like proper yeah yeah um... yeah so in that case our insurance i think would get billed not sure if it would be covered shit I, I've gone like snowboarding in Mount Hood, which is like a, a very, very tall mountain in um, Oregon. And at the very top of the chairlift, there is an enormous sign at the chairlift that says basically like, if you go somewhere unrecoverable, you or your heirs are responsible for the price that it takes to rescue you. Holy shit. <laughs> in huge, like unwavering font. You know? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I didn't crunch the numbers myself, but I have a feeling that like the national guard and multiple helicopters would cost more than $36,000. So I don't know how they got off so easy. And then Mayumi um, only had to do 20 days of weekend jail. I don't know what weekend <laughs> jail is. Is it like being grounded as an adult? <laughs> right? Like- that is stupid. <laughs> I do support this in favor of the kids because Falcon was one of three um, and they're all about the same age. Uh, They were allowed to stagger their sentences, like do their jail time offset from each other so that somebody was always home to take care of the kids. Oh, that's cute. That's nice. But I'm sure they don't consider that for other families, especially those who have been wrongfully imprisoned. Yep. Yep. I completely, a thousand percent agree. It's like, that's nice that that happened in this one case. That is not the norm. Mm. So let's let's get into a little bit more about um, some of the other social fallout of, of the circumstance. Because even though I, like, I just told you the entire hoax. And the hoax itself is like, wow, that's, that's pretty random. That's pretty fucking weird. <laughs> but the drama and the surrounding details are equally, if not more, fascinating. Yes, give me the drama. <laughs> <laughs> so, to this day, they maintain that they are innocent, but also maintain that they were pressured into pleading guilty because they threatened, they being like the police and the people questioning them, uh, they threatened Mayumi's deportation because she was a Japanese citizen. Oh, well, that's not very nice if they did that. I'm not about to, at any point, support pressuring with deportation, but it also seems overwhelmingly like they were guilty. (laughs) So I support them pleading guilty. (laughs) (laughs) um don't i don't like that there was like that kind of threat involved but um i think that they oh i you know what damn it i said i was not going to talk about what i think no i'm shutting up i can say it i think they were so guilty i thought one of the most interesting consequences was that they were barred from receiving any uh profits from the entire escapade for several years Yes. Well, this I think this is a, um, a really common thing in the States, probably actually in most places, is you can't profit off your crimes. 
So um, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, this is a super duper common thing because a lot of um, so true crime stories are obviously very popular in the media, and <clears throat> when they started to become popular, absolute dickheads like the likes of like Jeffrey Dormer and and things like that wanted to profit off their story, sell their story, um, and yeah, legal oh. things were put down that they couldn't, so they can. They can talk about their story, but they can't make any profits from it. And they monitor them quite closely to make sure they're not profiting off their crime. I'm glad to hear that that's, that that's the case. Yeah, because otherwise you just have assholes serving time but getting out rich. Which yes. you don't want people to, to reward themselves with their very bad behavior. So I wrote down some of the, the main characters of the story and the drama surrounding them. <laughs> So I think we should first start with the balloon. (laughs) Yes, the balloon. The main character of the story. When I tell you, you know, this helium flying saucer balloon and presumably a child in it, like, give me your best, like, you know, one or two sentence description. Like, what's in your mind's eye right now when I say that? Hmm. I would say, you know, those like classic flying saucers, like the, the silvery with like the the disc almost with like the two yeah. nubs at the top and bottom. Mm. Like that's yeah. what I'm imagining. Yeah. And there's like a kid inside that. <laughs> In the nub. In the yeah. nub. Just like <laughs> flying like a flying saucer. That's what I'm imagining. Oh, me too. Good. That's really good. That's what you've got too, Sarah, in your yeah. mind's eye. Yeah, classic flying saucer. I honestly, full disclosure, had started thinking of back in like what I would call the golden age of infomercials. Yes, I love a good infomercial. I feel like, you know, before the Netflix era, it was just kind of breaking onto the... We had, like, heavy hitters like, you know, Billy Mays and really good infomercials for a while. Um, Their use... Shit just kept getting more and more and more useless. Um, But (laughs) there was a while that they were marketing this sort of, like, super inflated Frisbee that was just, like, this massive disc. Yeah, remember that? I had one. Oh when my I, god, are you serious? Yeah, I bought one from the Brisbane Planetarium when I was a teenager. I So what used to kill me about those info, infomercials is that they would show people playing with it in their, like, mansions where you have just this, like, open balcony in the middle of your living room and they're like, oh, you can play with it in the house. And I'm like, maybe some parts of New Jersey, not mine. Regular people are like, please do not play with that in the house. Yeah. You're going to break the TV. Outside, maybe you could have, but I don't think those had helium in them. No, I don't think so. I think that was just, like, air. and But they, they were like a fruit speed, so when you threw them up, they're kind of like caught some caught some wind and could go could go up yeah i think it was also something to do with the heat there was i think the one i had was in, in the sun it would help do something i don't know some cool chemistry oh, or interesting. physics going on there yeah well this is what i had in my head i was like oh my god they bought one of these from the fucking infomercial <laughs> yeah and i just couldn't i couldn't figure out how the kid fit in really i was just like they took one of these and put helium in it and then duct tape I don't know (laughs) (laughs) turns out the balloon itself was 
To give Richard too much credit, an early prototype of one of his inventions that he imagined people would drive to get around traffic. Um, oh it was quite God. literally many plastic tarps taped together. <laughs> Stop. Covered in aluminum foil. And that aluminum foil was held down with string and duct tape. This thing was about 20 feet or six meters across and five feet or one and a half meters high. Are you wow. kidding so me? It, I'm amazed that he was able to duct tape together tarps. First of all, in a circle. How the fuck do you put tarps? At? Tarps are squares. Like, how do you put them in a circle? I don't know. Anyway. Oh, I just Googled a picture of it. Holy crap. That's a big <laughs> balloon. <laughs> so at the base of this balloon, uh, there was plywood and cardboard held together by string and duct tape yet again where the pilot would sit. Why would you ever <laughs> let your child play in that? In your duct taped contraption? You wouldn't. They didn't. They didn't. I'm amazed it flew for 90 minutes. Yeah. Like when people reported things falling, like it's like you hear this description, you're like, yeah, the fuselage. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so the fate of this balloon in the end was auctioned off in 2011 uh, for the Tohoku earthquake and tsunami that happened in, um, in Japan. Well, that's kind of them. But like, part of me wants to be like, that's really generous. And then part of me is like, is that because you couldn't make a profit? Yeah. Like you are, weren't allowed? Are they trying to get some karma points back <laughs> from the universe here? Next on my list, this is a big one. Another main character, Richard. And here at this point, when I started to read about Richard, that's when I was like, Oh my God, this is my topic. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> this is the father, right? This is the father, mm -hmm. Richard. Immediately, the wiki article starts slamming this guy. He was a <laughs> failed actor and stand-up comedian. Oh, failed. bad combo. That's brutal. Yeah. Uh, in his day job, I guess, when he wasn't failing at his uh, big Hollywood <laughs> ambitions. <laughs> he was also a handyman. And somebody who knew him described him as a, quote, shameless self-promoter who would do almost anything to advance his latest, sorry, advance his latest endeavor. Wow. Oh. End it's quote. A bit of like a cheesy, sleazy salesman of himself. Yeah. That is exactly the impression I'm getting, which is, you know, again, why I'm like, okay, this hoax really sounds like, okay, imagining a person with this personality pleading innocent. Yeah. Okay. We're building a character profile here. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> so when Richard was a handyman back in the 1970s, he was working on a house or a, a building and a storm took the roof clean off. Oh, and crap. ever since that moment, he has been a storm chaser. <gasps> wow. <laughs> and so he uh, once rode a motorcycle into a tornado. <laughs> so I was just like, let's just throw danger at danger. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just the worst freaking idea, isn't it? Yeah, and he bragged about flying a plane around the perimeter of Hurricane Wilma. 
uh, what it this is how this is how you die like yeah don't right. do that you have you have a child could we not children three children children sorry children oh, even more of a reason don't die yep he apparently would take his children and family storm chasing and ufo no. hunting mm-hmm. so here's where I'm just going to give you whiplash. The family was a crowd favorite on Wife Swap. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I used to love that show when I was growing up. You may have seen them. In fact, they were such a crowd favorite that they were brought back for the show's 100th episode. Wow. Wow. I have to go try to find that episode. Were they just a little bit crazy? Well, yes, because part of the reason I think that they got so popular was that Richard was vocal about his belief that humanity descended from aliens. Good. Oh, okay. <laughs> good. So good. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, oh, no. So I think that apparently he would launch his homemade sort of contraptions or or flying objects into storms. I'm not really sure the thought process behind this. I don't think it was to test their durability. I get the sense that there was something a little bit more alchemical. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So interestingly, a detail related to Wife Swap is that Richard pitched this idea, not unlike the idea you had last week, Sarah, it was called Science Detectives. And he pitched this reality show where they would go and explore alternative science. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, but I do believe he was taking the perspective that it was real. Right. Less a perspective of trying to explain things with science. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, as you can imagine, putting all the pieces together, this rejection happened not long before the hoax. What a dink that is. Mm-hmm. And now what Falcon said starts to make a little bit more sense. The family allegedly, or they are accused of, wanting to spur a reality show based on the incident uh. or triggered from the incident as just a claim to fame. Or a way of climbing that ladder. Yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about Mayumi because the the uh, wiki article didn't really talk about her a whole lot, um, other than you know, kind of some of the the stress that she was under. And I guess to further that sort of narrative, uh, I went off the road. I actually ended up writing this bit in the wiki article because the article hadn't been updated in a very long time. But Mayumi, in a very, very recent interview in about 2020-ish, I think around 2020, said she produced, I guess I should say, for this magazine, this local Colorado magazine, um, handwritten notes that she had once supplied her attorney. And the handwritten notes detail every day her memory I think it was her memory of what led up to the events or I oh. like, I don't think that they were written actually, actually on those days. Okay. Um, but the story is that they kind of like put the kids on the couch and like recorded them sort of talking about the experiment and foreshadowing the experiment. And then somewhere on camera Falcon says, Oh, I want to go in that. 
Like I want to, I want to ride it, whatever. And the hoax that they had planned was that Falcon would be uh, in like a safe or something like that in the basement. Okay. <laughs> you can suffocate in a safe. Why? Well, you- I don't know if it was in or near a safe. Okay. It. Something to do with a safe Still. or with a safe. It was kind of ambiguous if he would be in the safe. <clears throat> yeah. Not smart. Not smart no. at all. No. Do you remember where they found Falcon? In the attic? In the attic, yeah. Yes. So according to Mayumi's notes, Falcon, they, they okay, so they launch the thing. Then they go to the basement to go check on Falcon and they can't find him. Oh, so they they claim so they are really sticking to the the claim that they thought he actually had snuck aboard. Yes, mm-hmm. and so apparently there's a lot of this that's caught on film. Um, the reunion with Falcon when they find him in the attic was very very tearful and emotional, and so Mayumi explains this by saying, uh, "Well, I really thought that he was in there because that wasn't the plan." Okay, so this. A newspaper, or not really newspaper, but this magazine, then f- tries to follow up with Richard. This is, in, <laughs> you know, recent times. Yeah. Richard doesn't respond, and so they reach out again, and Richard is furious with Mayumi, and he's like, "Why did you do this? Every time you write something down, it gets us into deep shit." And she's like, "It's fake. It's all fake. I made it up to save my family. None of it's real." Ooh, okay. Good. I, okay, you know, I said I wasn't going to speculate, but I'm going to speculate. I think that Richard is a dick. And yeah. I think that Mayumi's yeah. afraid of him. But yes. that does not clarify for me what's true and what's not. So this is kind of why that um, narrative still persists that it was that they're innocent or that it was, you know, uh, they believe it or that they're not guilty or like blah 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 it's like we keep getting conflicting stories and conflicting evidence yeah well it sounds mm-hmm. like they had initially planned the hoax and maybe that was her way of trying to take blame away from them was to say oh well you know we were gonna do this but then he wasn't there so but don't you just look around your house fully <laughs> i guess I mean, but she said that she made up the writing. Like, all of the handwritten things, she said she made it up. Why? What? It doesn't make... It makes it more confusing if she made it up. Hmm. Oh, I feel sorry for her, because it does feel like Richard is a bit of a controlling douche poosh. I mean, he was willing to swap her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, multiple times. Ugh. What's your read, Drew? Yeah, what's your, what's your opinion, Drew? Um, hmm. I feel that the notes are real and that it was like completely set up and they freaked out because they heard their son saying, Hey, I want to go up in the balloon. And then they let it go. And then all of a sudden they look downstairs and he's not there. And they're like, Oh my God, he's actually in the balloon. And that's what made them freak out. And Mm. they weren't thinking logically, like let's search the house. They were just like, Mm. we got to get the police on the phone right now because he's probably in that balloon. And, you know, it's a jank balloon and it's probably going to, you know, drop him off at some point. And so, not drop him off, that sounds way too gentle. It's going to drop him on the ground <laughs> from a really high height. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I think they just immediately went straight to, we got to call the police and didn't really think, well, he could be hiding in the house elsewhere. 
I think I think the notes are real. Right. I think that's that's more believable. Yeah. What's interesting is that the original hoax, according to her notes, if you believe them, was that they were going to find him in the basement and then call the police back and be like, oh, never mind, never mind, we found him. So in the original plan, according to the notes, they were going to call it off. So I think that this gives credit to your theory, Drew, that like they didn't call it off because they were truly like, if you believe that the notes are real, they were truly oh, like, shit. holy yeah. shit, my son is Yeah, my missing. son's in there. My son's in that balloon. Yeah, so I don't know how I feel about it, other than the fact that I know that um, I do not like Richard. <laughs> yeah, you and me both there. You and me both. It's just very convenient publicity. Yeah, so this is why... So a few things to touch on here. That's why I wanted to ask you at the beginning, what would you do for fame? And some of the fallout of this event and this hoax, and especially some of the criticism, is people coming forward and saying, like, hey, you cannot profit off of putting kids in danger yeah. like that's fucked yeah no you definitely should not be allowed or want to do that apparently memes were made of this i had no <laughs> idea um the story really grew its own legs and really traveled really fast which again cannot believe that this is the first time i'm reading about it people were, were concerned that this kind of popularity growing this quickly might encourage other people to make stupid decisions like that I mean, <laughs> look at all of the stupid challenges oh that go God. around that are downright dangerous. Like the stupid cinnamon challenge. Oh my! <laughs> Dumbasses. Do you want to die? Just yeah, yeah. No, no. You got a good point. At least in those, like you're, they're only harming themselves. You know, it's not. <laughs> it's not like endangering other people. Are, are you are you too ready for this? Ready. Did you no. do it? <laughs> There are so many memes about this. Oh, no. That's actually what Falcon looks yeah, that's like. that's Falcon. <laughs> oh. So this is actually a convenient segue. For those of you who are obviously not on the Discord, that's just the three of us. <laughs> Drew just posted one of the memes, and I will put it on Twitter, but it's, it's up to <laughs> the hooks. And it's... A fake movie poster, and instead of the house and up, it's the shitty hot air balloon and a picture of this poor kid. Um, but that is a great segue because I was not going to let this story go without figuring out, is Falcon okay? <laughs> this poor kid? The star of the show other than the balloon. So Falcon. Oh, Falcon. Now with the rest <laughs> Falcon with his family, his his brothers and his parents, they all live in Florida now. Mm -hmm. They no longer live in Colorado. So in an interview he did with ABC, uh, he said that he actually has no recollection of that day and it has no bearing on his life, which I hope is true. Yeah. Like, that's a lot of pressure to put on a kid, too, to include them in this whole, like, hoax planning situation. Right. Richard's a fucking dick. Richard is a, a mon money-hungry fame, fame whore. Um, but I hope the kid is okay. I hope he grows up to be very well, well balanced and well rounded. Poor little thing. Well, he and his brothers have picked up the uh, contracting and construction sort of handyman tools of their father, and they work in construction and uh, fixing houses. Oh, cool! And the three of them, the three boys 
currently have a heavy metal band called the Heaney Boys with a Z at the end. <laughs> the Heaney That's Boys. That's very sweet. <laughs> oh my God. Are they on YouTube? <laughs> Time to find out. I, I did not listen to their music, but at least they have a good outlet. And it seems that they're enjoying life. This, this balloon found the end of the rainbow. <laughs> How long were you waiting to say that? I came up with it just now, inspired by the art that's before me in this fucking meme. Oh, I'm so proud of you. That was a lovely ending. Perfect segue. If you want to see all the memes and all the photos from all of the different topics we talk about every single week, you can follow us on Twitter at GoAskAlicePod and on Instagram at GoAskAlicePodcast. If you want to hang out with Drew, give us a review, give us a like, give us... Just fucking anything. I don't know. Send us a screenshot of it, and Drew will give you a smooch on the podcast. Yeah, I'll give you a smooch right on right on the podcast. Firing from the hip. <laughs> As always, thank you so much for hanging out with us, you guys. We want to hear all the weird places that you've ended up on the internet. Thanks for answering our questions of the week, and we love Cam from Twitter. We love Cam. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>